0: All right, welcome to the Exotazo podcast. I have my lovely, amazing friend Sawyer Wilson, What's up, bro. Dude, I'm excited. Dude, I'm excited. I am so excited. If you guys don't know Sawyer Wilson, he is a very, very, very close friend of mine. Yeah, he's the head pastor of or the head youth pastor right. of, yeah. North Church, <laughs> of North Church of North Church of the Youth Ministry and uh yeah i'm just
1: happy to have you on i'm excited i'm excited i remember when Stino started up exitazo (laughs) as a small group and then he's like i think i'm gonna record it and now he's got like cameras and lights and computers and assistant named dawson like (laughs) i'm just kidding Uh, it looks awesome dude i'm proud of you bro yeah thanks for inviting me to come on dude i'm extremely happy and excited and i'm
0: grateful for you to even come on and have this discussion with me for sure, bro. For sure. All right, so um, yeah, let's just get into let's it. Do I it. know your favorite book is the Book of Ruth. Yes. So as you guys know on the podcast, I typically come with like all the facts, some really interesting stuff. We get into it, but this time it's going to be more of just a conversation. Come on, and I'm gonna let you let's lead it fun. and teach me some amazing things. That's one thing I'm good Ruth. at is talking. I can, I can talk. <laughs> I can do that. All right, so like, yeah, let's just let's just get straight into it. Sure. Let's not waste anyone's time. So. What are some
1: interesting facts? Just starting off with the Book of Ruth. Sure. I mean, a couple of the interesting things. I haven't, I haven't like done a deep dive study. I decided I was about to study because I was like, I'm, I'm talking to Stino. Like, I gotta get, <laughs> I gotta freshen up. Stino's like the smartest guy I know. And I was like, no, I'm just gonna go with the, the info that I have because that's like r- the realest. Um, um. So I've, I the first time I read the Book of Ruth was in twenty. Nineteen? no 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 sorry 2020 summer of 2020 during Mm -hmm. covid and i was like man i just i really want to like study something like i had i had read the whole bible at that point um so i had skimmed over ruth like it was quick it was like on the reading plan i read it like one day because it's only four chapters Mm -hmm. and i was like i really want to do like a study on something where like i really study it and this was during covid during quarantine and I was doing the New Testament in 30 days challenge with Pastor Christian. Shout mm-hmm. out to Pastor Christian and uh, some of our students and leaders as well. So I was doing that and then I was like, I want to really want to dive into something. So what I did was I took the book, book of Ruth, four chapters, and on the first day I read the first chapter, the second day I read the first and second, and then third day, first, second, third, last day, first, second third, fourth, um, mm-hmm. and then for a whole week. So then on the the extra days, I just read it over and over. So like in a week I'd read the book of Ruth like seven times. Dang. Um, and hey, look at that, wait, seven, seven times. Is that right? Seven times. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not good at math. Like probably no, six. Yeah. Maybe we can yeah. go with seven though. Cause it's yeah, a better yeah. number. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, I had read the book of Ruth a bunch of times and I learned so much about it. So some interesting facts about it, since that's what you asked. Um, it's, it's not the only book of the only books of the Bible where God's not mentioned that's Esther and, What's the other one? Song of Solomon, right? I think so. Yes. Yeah. But God is mentioned very, very rarely in the book of Ruth, which is pretty interesting. It shows him working behind the scenes. A couple other interesting things is we don't really know who wrote it or or like where it came from. Most okay. church history says Samuel, probably, but then that gets a little complicated with like yeah. timelines and stuff like that. So we don't know 100% who wrote it. Um, but my favorite thing about the book of Ruth is that we see Ruth in the genealogy. Of Jesus, she's one of only I think three, maybe four women listed mm-hmm. in the genealogy of Jesus. Yep. So it's kind of cool to see this book. I mean, it's pretty early on in the Bible. It's right after Judges, so mm-hmm. it's right after um, it's right after the Torah, and then you've got a few extra books, and then Ruth is right. <laughs> There, so it's a pretty early book. It's really small. It's literally only like two pages, maybe three, in your Bible, um, so you could miss it. But it's my favorite. And another fun fact about it, which kind of like confirmed to me, oh, this is for sure my favorite book of the Bible, um, is my wife's middle name is Ruth. Um, so, oh, I did yeah, not know my that. My wife's middle name wow. is Ruth. So when she when I learned that about her, I was like, oh, you're the one. <laughs> on. <laughs> but so uh, yeah, that's that's just a couple little fun facts about the book of Ruth. And this is kind of random. I told you I could talk. I, one time, Pastor Rodney, it was my first year working at North Church. He asked me, hey, what, what book of the Bible do you think I should do a series on, like a, a sermon series? And I mm-hmm. said, Ruth, for sure. He goes, "He goes, that's a good idea. He goes, "I did you know I did one like five years ago? So I looked it up. I was listening to his, his sermon series on Ruth. It was really mm-hmm. good. And I remember I was listening to like the second or third message in the series, and I actually got in a wreck while I was driving and listening to it and totaled my car. And I remember like the <laughs> wreck was done. Like I was sitting there kind of realizing what had just happened, and he's still preaching over my stereo and I just look at the stereo and I go, Shut up <laughs> <laughs> and I turned it off and I felt bad because I yelled at Pastor Rodney through the stereo from five years ago to shut up. But that's a funny story. But yeah. So that's I guess some good. fun facts. I don't know how fun those are, but they're No, fun, those fun are to those
0: me. are good. I, I genuinely did not know the one with um we don't know who wrote the book of Ruth. Yeah. I did not know that. I thought mm-hmm. at least when it came to like the tenek or the Old Testament, um, we knew the authors of like majority, or like, of if them, not, yeah, yet, like almost every single one. Yeah. So I'm surprised that the Ruth is one that we don't know. So mm-hmm. that's that's like very very fascinating. Yeah. So I got the next question, which is, what do you think the Book of Ruth shows about Jesus?
1: Oh, that. Oh, that's yeah. awesome, dude. I love that. So I think the number one thing that it shows about Jesus, and this is like the number one thing that it shows me right now. Maybe we can get into this later, but I feel like the first time I read it, it taught me something different than when I read it now. I think the f- last time I read it was on the North Church Reading Plan like a few months ago. I think I read it again, was the most recent time that I've read the book of Ruth. And so I get something different from it every time, um, which is really cool. It just shows you how rich the Word of God is. But I think the main thing, the number one thing it shows about Jesus to me is how he can use anyone. Because um, mm-hmm. even though the story of Ruth and, and and Boaz and Naomi and everybody in there is just so incredible, that I think the coolest thing is when you get to the end, at chapter four, and it starts talking about Ruth and Boaz having their baby, and then it goes into the genealogy, and they end up being the grandparents of King David, who we know was an ancestor mm-hmm. of Jesus, and then when you go into the New Testament, I think it's in Matthew, it lists Ruth as one of the uh, ancestors of Jesus, so it's cool to me how Jesus can and will use anyone, because if mm-hmm. you look at the women that are listed, you've got... Um, Ruth, mm-hmm. you've got um, uh, who was the woman in the in the in in Jericho? What was her name? With this Rahab, uh, you got yeah, Rahab, Rahab. Yep. and then you've got like I think Tamar is another mm-hmm. one that's listed in there. Yep. All of the and Ruth was a was a Moabite, like she mm-hmm. wasn't she wasn't uh, Israelite, like yeah. she was a foreigner, and she's in the genealogy of Jesus, like it's crazy. And she's a woman that's listed in the genealogy of Jesus. So that's that's one thing. But then another thing: do you know do you know what Ruth means? I don't. So I the name don't. the name Ruth, I don't know how to say it or what it is in Hebrew, but the name that we get Ruth from in 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 Hebrew means friend or friendship. Um, so I think it just is a beautiful story of friendship and what relationship looks like. So I think wow. it shows like what godly friendship, relationship looks like. So that's what I think it teaches us about Jesus, that he can that's and amazing. will use anyone, but then also what it what it looks like to be a friend that is honoring him and, and have a Christ centered friendship, relationship. Marriage, family, mm-hmm. all sorts of relationships. So, yeah,
0: yeah. So, what do you think the Book of Ruth shows necessarily about humanity? Yeah, to show like good things, to show bad things, to yes. show like the type of sin that's in our life. What do you think? Okay. Uh, it shows about humanity inside that sense. I yeah,
1: guess? I think it shows. I think it shows two different sides. So, like right in the first chapter, when we have uh, Naomi loses her husband and she loses her two sons who had married Ruth and Orpa. Fun fact: Oprah Winfrey was supposed to be named Orpah, but okay. her mom spelled it wrong in the hospital and that was how they came. I'm serious, bro. Dang. At least that's what my Cub Scout leader told that. me. <laughs> so I don't know if that's true, but I've known that fact since I was like 10 years old. That's but anyways, cool, anyways. Um, so when when Naomi's just left with her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, what does she tell them? She tells them, hey, I'm so old. There's no, mm-hmm. I have no husband for you. Like I can't, you know, have other kids to to give you husbands, like I'm too old, it would take too long, like I have no family, nothing to offer you. So she kind of releases them and at first they're both like, No, we're gonna stay with you. But then she says it again, they're like, no, seriously, like I release you from this like family bond and covenant that we have. And we see Orpah, as soon as she says it, she's like, okay, see ya. She hugs her and she leaves, but Ruth stays with her. And we get the, the most famous verse in chapter, six, uh, chapter 1, verse 16, where she pretty much says, don't urge me to leave you. Where you go, I will go. Where you die, I will die. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. So we see two different things, Orpah and Ruth, one person that left when times get hard, even though she did mm-hmm. stick around for a second, but as soon as she saw the way out, she took uh-huh. the way out. And then we see Ruth and what it means to be loyal. Cause I mean, at that point there was nothing positive in that situation, for Ruth, she was foreign. There was a famine going on. They had no provider, no man at that time, yeah. um, no husband, no father-in-law, no no family whatsoever, really, other than distant relatives, which we'll read about later in the yeah. book. But she had no reason to stay, but she did it because it was the right thing to do. Um, so I think that's one of the main things that shows us about humanity is like the choices that we have to make in in our relationships. Like, are we going to stick it out when times get tough? Or are we going to leave? But then I kind of see like each chapter teach us like a different um, principle. So I think chapter one teaches about loyalty um, when Ruth makes that decision. And then chapter two, I think it talks about humility when Ruth is going out into the field that she didn't know at the time belonged to Boaz. And she's picking up the scraps that mm. are left behind to try to find something to eat or to make money for her and Naomi. So she's being humble and pretty much becoming like a servant behind yeah. these servants mm-hmm. and she's humbling herself and then I think chapter three teaches us about honor and respect because uh, people misread it a lot because it's kind of weird when she sneaks in there with Boaz and she like uncovers his feet while he's asleep and stuff like that but if you if you research I don't know all the details but if you research all of like the nuances of what that actually meant he was like super honorable to her respected her did all the right things to not you know um, disgrace her or or or, or anything like that. Um, so we see honor from Boaz in that chapter. And then in the, in the fourth chapter, we see kind of like the reward of what happens when you, when you do all of those things, when you're loyal to people around you, when mm-hmm. you're humble and you serve. And then when you respect and honor the people around you, you see that reward of family um, because they, they end up, you know, getting married in the end, having a son um, and then having descendants that become, you know, yeah. the Kings. Right. Wow. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That's so that I love a it. Really, really good. Stuff. It's an awesome little book. So
0: there's a lot I really want to talk about. I'm sure. not going to lie. But um, I, because of your passion for this book, I would feel wrong if we didn't read any portions of it. Okay. So I was wondering, did you? is there any, like, if you want to pull, like, uh, verses that you'd like to sure. discuss from each chapter okay, or sure. things like that? Yeah. And we can kind of, like, get deep on, like, those
1: aspects if you'd like. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of, for sure, there's definitely one that I would want to, and then I'll, I'll have to look at the other chapters, but mm-hmm. the most famous verse from Ruth, like the key verse, most people, even if they don't know anything about the book of Ruth, if, if they've been in church or been to weddings or stuff like that, they maybe have heard this verse, um, okay. so it's chapter 1, verse 16, This just some context, Oops. this is after, after Naomi releases Ruth and Orpah from you know, their covenant and their relationship with her. Mm -hmm. Um, She releases them, and then Orpah leaves. It says that Orpah Orpah leaves. Ruth clings to her, um, and Naomi tells Ruth again, leave, go. But in verse 16, it says this, But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. And the cool thing is, is like, wow. so cool. I love this verse. I had, ar- I already loved that verse. Um, the first time that I read the book of Ruth, or, or studied the book of Ruth, I should say, it stood out to me. Um, and I was like, man, what an amazing way to love your family. And, and then I kind of realized, wait, this is a story of like friendship and relationship in general. It's not just for a mother-in-law daughter-in-law relationship like it's it can be but Mm -hmm. it's for a friendship it's for a marriage it's for anything like that so funny story kind of cool when we went to do uh the rehearsal dinner for olivia and i's wedding pastor clint officiated our wedding shout out to pastor clint (laughs) and he goes and he starts kind of running us through what's going to happen and he goes yeah and then i'm going to share the story of ruth and naomi and i'm going to have you guys read chapter one, verse 16, like out loud with me. And I was just like, bro, like this is the verse that like I love. And so Pastor Clint uses that verse when he officiates weddings. And when he pointed that out, he pointed out that it it teaches us um, four things about um, covenant life lasting relationship that you have to serve one another, that you have to be with one another, like in proximity to like you have to spend time together, be together, that you have to love the same people in the same God, like kind of goes back to like, not being unequally yoked, you know, Mm -hmm. in relationships and friendships. And then finally that it's, it's until death. Like when you enter into a covenant or even when you enter into a friendship, like you and I, we never said like, Hey, do you want to be friends? Like (laughs) Like, it wasn't (laughs) like that. We didn't take an oath or a vow or anything, but like ideally, like, in a, in a God honoring way. Like we, even if, even if we move away or stuff like that, we'll still be friends mm-hmm. and have like the bond and the brotherhood that we have until we pass away, you know? Yeah. So that's what, uh, I get from that verse. So now when I officiate weddings, I actually use that verse too. Um, and people, people kind of raise the eyebrow to it cause they're like, that's not a marriage, but it's, mm-hmm. it's the same thing. Like it's a relationship yeah. between people. Um, so what do you think about it? I, I
0: was actually, <clears throat> um, I was just thinking, like, I feel like this verse, I'm going to just read it again because it's so powerful. Yeah. Um, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Ooh, let me look that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it says, uh, but Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and mm-hmm. turn back. Whenever, wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die mm-hmm. and there I will be buried. Mm-hmm. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. So that really hit me because I started, I instantly started thinking of David and Jonathan. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that was like the first thing. I was saying that while we were yeah, talking. Yeah. Like that just instantly came to my head. But not only that, but the connection that you made of where it's like, Yes, this is dealing with, like, friendship and stuff, but it's just not friendship. It extends um, outside of just mm-hmm. friendship. But mm-hmm. It extends to marriage. It extends to yeah. brotherly friendship, family members, and things like that. For sure. And I think it really shows that, that commitment, attitude, mm-hmm. and ambition. Mm-hmm. Like, like you said, like, in this moment, she had every reason to leave. And then on top of that, in this moment, her mother-in-law gave her the out like she was saying you can go like i know the situation is jacked up and she still decided to stay with her yeah and so that makes me wonder what areas in our life do we have the choice or not only that but the ability to look at it and be like you know the way it's looking i'm in the right i can leave yeah but what is god calling me to do inside the situation Yeah. yeah and sometimes that's not always leaving yeah and that is the most difficult yeah. decision <laughs> yeah honestly that's that's the first thing that i instantly started thinking of if yeah. i'm being completely honest um man
1: yeah. that's awesome
0: how do you how do you think on a deeper level uh this works with specifically kids in ministry mm-hmm. so like kids in high school and things like that mm-hmm. how do you how do you think that they can like incorporate this like in their life and in
1: what they're dealing like with how to apply this yeah like yeah dude, necessarily i mean bro, like the biggest thing that we hear, bro. Oh my gosh. Dealing with teenagers. Like, it's like we they're friends one week and then we're not friends the next week. (laughs) I broke up with my girlfriend and then (laughs) they're back together. Like, uh, you know it, like you experience (laughs) it, like leading students. And it's just like, kind of like that cancel culture mentality. Like, here's the thing. And this just kind of stood out to me. Like Ruth, it, it, it like context would tell us, I mean, depending on the way it was originally written, but at least the way that I'm reading it, that Ruth was married to Naomi's son, it says for almost 10 years. Wow. And she, she like, she didn't have kids. So like, like she had all of these reasons to leave. Like she had no ties to Naomi, but maybe it was that bond that she had had for 10 years. So I, I think the main thing is like, don't let like one moment of, of, of like, of something negative or of something that's like a, not a positive situation or even a mistake that someone makes because Naomi was grieving and she was hurting and all of this stuff, she was bitter. Like that's why she changed her name Mm -hmm. and Ruth could have used that against her. Like, okay, I'm out. Like you're giving me the free pass, but instead Ruth did what was right and stuck it out. So I think the main takeaway from at least from that passage and from those verses for teenagers, but also for anyone is, you know, to just be, Loyal, be a friend, be a Ruth-like friend, and be loyal to the people around you. Obviously, there's certain situations where you have to remove yourself from Mm -hmm. relationships and stuff like that. But like, it wasn't hurting Ruth. She did have to make a lot of sacrifices, but um, she did the right thing and stayed. So I think it's it's you know being loyal and not switching up, being consistent in what you're doing, being faithful in what you're doing, being faithful to who you're with, and when you practice that as a kid as a teenager and then you go into young adulthood like think of if you've if you've been friends with the same people and you've loved the same people and you've been with the same people and you've worked through conflict with people like, think of how that's going to go with you into your adult friendships and how that's going to go with you into your marriage and how it's going to go with you mm-hmm. into your family. Because it's so easy when you're 16 years old and your friend says something that you don't like to be like, OK, we're not friends anymore. Well, what's going to happen when your wife says something that you don't like. Oh, we're not married anymore. No, that's not how yeah. it works. Like if, if that's what you teach yourself growing up, then that's how your mind's going to go. But if you do this and you're loyal and you stay with people and you serve people and you love people and you're in that covenant relationship with them, even though there's no formal covenant, you will know how to deal with conflict Mm -hmm. and communicate through hard times. Just like think of just on a practical side, think of the relationship and social skills you'll have if you approach your friendships and relationships as like, I'm in this and like, I'm not going to leave or abandon this and that doesn't mean you have to be best friends with everyone yeah that's just, it's like mm-hmm. you're just you're going to be loyal to people and you're going to love people so i don't know if that makes sense but no no yeah. that does that makes <laughs> no that makes that makes a lot of sense actually yeah it really it really does one thing that i was
0: like thinking of was how this kind of i feel like this kind of shows that commitment that jesus has with us mm-hmm. and then not only that but you see this coming from would you call her
1: basically like a gentile I mean, yeah, Ruth, pretty much, yeah, because yeah, yeah. Gentiles are anybody that aren't aren't Jews, yeah. so yeah.
0: And this right here just reminded me of that, um, mm-hmm. her showing that, I would say, like that godly self-sacrificing commitment. Yeah. And it reminded me of the other portions to where um, Gentiles are doing things that are just kind of monumental, that mm-hmm. just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like, you have... Her right here being fully committed, mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. I mean, yeah. she has every right to leave. Some people would probably say, no, you should go back to your own town where you have family to where they can take care of you and things like that. Yeah. And then I remember there was one portion, I think it's in John, with the Roman soldier who sees Jesus crucified on the cross. Mm-hmm. And out of all of the Gentiles and even the Jews, he's the only person. This was the Son of God. Yeah. This was the Son of God. And yeah. he just sees it. It's clear to him. Mm-hmm. But yet at the same time, it doesn't make sense. And that like kind of re- reminds me of what areas in my life am I struggling to understand and it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. But God's trying to reveal something to me.
1: Yeah. yeah. that it makes a lot of sense. Yeah.
0: And yeah. it's like that's the, that's the hardest part, at least for me, is because when things aren't making sense to me, mm-hmm. that requires me to have trust and faith. Mm-hmm. And that's the most difficult part. Hard. You yeah. know how like logical yeah. I am. If it's not making logical yeah. sense, it's like, right. nah, forget that trash. I don't want <laughs> to. even want to deal not with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so my question to you is, yeah, specifically for this. Um, well, actually, actually, let's actually go on to chapter two. Okay. Favorite verse from chapter two, and then we oh, can kind of go into the other questions. Oh
1: man, can I can I throw in one that's at the end of chapter one? It'll be sure. Quick. No, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, so, yeah. Well, I, however this, you want to do it. This yeah. actually was one that I, I I'm seeing my highlights, and this is actually one that stood out to me the most recent time that I wrote it. So at the end of chapter one, they've got back to Bethlehem, um, which is which is where Naomi and her husband were originally from. Um, okay. And they go and they meet Ruth and Orpah in a foreign land because there was a famine. They come back because the famine's done. And one of the things she says when she gets back there um, with Ruth and the people that recognize her, they're like, is this Naomi? This is Naomi. But she says this in verse 20 of chapter one. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So she wanted her name to be changed from Naomi, which meant pleasant, to Mara, which meant bitter. Um, and, And like I understand that. She lost her husband. She lost her two sons. Like She should mourn, and she should be sad. But one thing that stood out to me is like, At this moment, at least, she was taking for granted the friendship that she had with Ruth. So I think just a practical takeaway, because Ruth had chosen to come with her no matter what. And she's saying, I came back empty. Like, no, you didn't. You have somebody that has chosen to literally attach their life to yours when they had no practical reason to do that. So I think for me, it just teaches me to not take for granted the people that are in my life that Mm. are there. Because it's super easy to, you know think like, oh, if I just had this, or if I just had this, and we can start to think that with our friends and our relationships too. Well, if I had better friends, or if I had this, think about the friends that you do have in your life. Like I have amazing friends and amazing people in my life, and I don't want to take them for granted. Um, So that was just something that I saw at the end of chapter one. But I think probably my favorite verse, gosh, I don't know if I have like a favorite verse um, in chapter two, but one thing that kind of stands out to me just from glancing at it Right now is like this is the first time that we read about Boaz, um, and, and so chapter two, verse one, it says Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So there, he's a distant relative of Naomi's um, husband who had passed away. And his name was Boaz, and and what's interesting to me is it says he's a man of standing. Um, That's not a phrase or term that we hear. I'm reading from the NIV, um, but that means like a man of character or a man Mm. of integrity, a man of, of, of standing. And I feel like in church culture, like you always hear stuff like, Girls, just keep waiting for your boaz. Like he's gonna come. Like, and you hear, like, even on the other side, sometimes too, like guy, they're like, guys, like you're gonna you're like you're gonna get a Ruth, like eventually, stuff like that. Which sounds so stupid and so cliche, but it's like it's actually true. Like, if we as men want to have wives, spouses that are loyal, that that are humble, that serve, that love the way that Ruth does, like we have to be. Men of character. We have to be men of integrity. And it's mostly guys that listen to this. So, like, guys, like, if you look at the camera, I'm breaking the third wall. Dawson, I'm sorry. If you want to find like a a loyal, loving, amazing wife, like, you have to be a man of character. You attract what you are. So, if we want to be around great people, like, we have to be great people. It doesn't mean we have to be perfect. Boaz wasn't perfect, but he was a man of standing. He was a man of integrity. His, Mm. his, 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 his reputation preceded him because of who he was and what he did. And that's the first thing that we hear about him is that he was a man of, of character. So I'll get off my soapbox, but that was just a no, little... No, that's that that's some really good me. stuff, yeah. yeah. Would you would you say then that
0: uh, the character and quality of a marriage isn't started when you say your vows, but it started when you're waking up in the morning, the way you treat people, the way you treat oh, yeah. your family. Yeah. It starts way before that
1: yeah i would definitely say that i mean i think it starts before you even meet your 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 spouse or or your wife or your husband if there's any girls listening but i think that it starts at the beginning like people always say like yeah i'm working on myself and stuff like that and again so cliche everybody says it sounds really really dumb but it's true like like when you get into marriage, when you get, just like when you would enter into any new season of life, like it's stressful, it's hard. I mean, it's the best thing ever. I love being married, I love my wife, she's amazing, best person I know, but it's hard. So, like all of the personal issues that I've had, or all the areas where I was lacking discipline, or all of the things where like I was maybe insecure, or where, where I just wasn't strong areas in my life, like those didn't go away when I got married, they got amplified and like got inflamed and like they're right there on display. So if, if, if we're not dealing with those things, if we're not becoming the best versions of ourselves, if we're not becoming the type of husbands that we would want our future wives to have, then we're not going to be ready for that. Right. You attract Mm. what you are, Um, unless you're just faking it. Like you're, you're going, if you're, (laughs) if you're like a subpar guy, you're going to attract a subpar girl and vice Mm -hmm. versa. But if you are, and it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Like if you are growing and you're getting better and you're seeking the Lord in everything you do, and you have people that are pouring into you and you're, you're, you know, honoring the Lord, like you're going to attract someone that, that does the same thing. So yeah, I think, I think it definitely starts before you say your vows. I think it's like, Kind of like that self growth, like taking care of your relationship with Jesus, like taking care of habits in your life, adding discipline to your life, all of those things. So, yeah, I think that's so good. For sure. Yeah,
0: that's really good. Yeah, yeah, I do want to go back to that last passage sure. inside uh, verse one. Yeah, um, the passage where I was talking about um, her, the uh, Naomi was like feeling bitter and she mm-hmm. wanted to change her name, but yeah. then you brought it back to uh, Ruth and mm-hmm. how she wasn't like properly or. Not remembering the type of friend she did have.
1: Yeah, she wasn't recognizing that. That was yet. making me. Yeah, yeah,
0: that was making me think um, of the importance of just the body of Christ, mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. like how when you enter the body of Christ, you're entering into you're entering into a new family, a new creation, new group of people that not only um, you should love, but people that actually understand what you're going sure. through. Because I, I I hear a lot of like people, you know, like. Uh, the church is just such hypocrites and things like that. Okay. And honestly, like, I wouldn't even disagree with that. Yeah, it is full of hypocrites. I'm a hypocrite. There's a whole bunch of things I got to work on and stuff like that. But what I love about it is that the church of Christ, they're all people who know that they've messed up and that yeah. that's not an excuse to not commit to someone. Mm-hmm. And in the same way, like, just taking away, like what you said with, like, the friendships and the things like that, I think... The things that really show a good friendship, a good relationship, a good marriage. I'm not. I don't. I'm not married, so I can't really speak too uh, much yeah. on that. But, but um, just with that, it's like when you can look at a situation and you are not the one in the wrong, but like the other person is, and you're willing to put that aside, forgive that person, and reconcile with that person, and try to make it work. I just see in that part that you're really showing not only the love of Christ, but you're showing the pursuit of Christ at the same time for the greater good. Sure. And that, to me, kind of really just spoke, like, inside that last passage because you know how, like, important names are. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like right here we can go as far as to say, because the names are sometimes reflected as the character of the individual. Right here it's almost like this would have been a pivotal point for Naomi's character to change and what stopped that change? Yeah. was that one person. Yeah. in her life. Yeah, which to me just kind of shows like so good that massive like who is that one person that you can be inside someone's life to yeah. show the love of Christ to show the change that they can bring. Yeah, you know. So that's just uh, that to me yeah. that like really hit that I just like yeah. thought about.
1: The interesting thing too is like as f- to my knowledge like everywhere else in from then on like that's the only time that it sh- it calls her Mara is that time where she said, call me this, but everywhere else in the book, like it calls her Naomi even after that. So it's like, as a friend, like the names that we are, the things that we're speaking over people and what we're telling them we see in them and like, kind of like that, you know, like speaking positive things, but yeah, we're also going to speak the truth to people, but like we're not going to sit there and let people, you know, be down on themselves and be bad on themselves and beat themselves up over stupid things. Like we're going to be positive and we're gonna realize that the things that we say to people impact and influence who they are. So this is interesting.
0: There's one passage that just came to my mind and I, com- I forgot where it's at. I'm looking it up that really it reminded me, It's something with, um, where is it? I'm gonna try to find it. Ooh, here we go. It's in James. It's James chapter five, mm-hmm. verse 16 just came to my mind. I'm going to try to duplicate this real quick. And I want to hear your thoughts if you think like this is sure. a, almost kind of like a... This could almost be like the the um, New Testament kind of amplifying a theme or something that's happening in the Old Testament. Sure. Yes. So from what we saw with... Uh, whatchamacallit... Um, from what we saw with Ruth, right? So we wow. saw Ruth, where she was showing that commitment. She was there. She was helped to, you know, mm. be there for her fa- for her mother-in-law and to, yeah. like, help her, you know, character not go down the wrong route, but help her stay upright, right. stay righteous, or right. stay, you know, in line with God, right? And I felt like this verse right here, uh, chapter 5, verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Mm-hmm. The earnest prayer of a righteous person. Has great power and produces wonderful results. Mm-hmm. There's another passage too, I believe, I think it's in Ephesians. Mm-hmm. I can't, I'm paraphrasing, I could be getting this wrong. But there's another passage that talks about confess your sins to one another um, for it will bring great healing or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. I probably just butchered the mess out of that. But, <laughs> but, get the point. Yeah, yeah, I think you're getting the point. Do you think that um, the character of Ruth? it's kind of being further exemplified in the New Testament with these passages. Yeah. And if you do, can you like elaborate more on it?
1: Yeah, no, I think that makes sense. I think that it could be. Um, I think that it could be. I think we can probably like infer that that's that's Ruth um, and what she did because even when Naomi was bitter, even when Naomi um, was, you know, pretty much complaining about what she had and what she didn't have, right? Um Ruth still stayed with her. She still stayed with her. She still worked hard for her. She still took care of the family. She still included Naomi in everything that she did. Um we don't know for sure what Ruth's response was when Naomi said call me Mara, call me bitter. Um mm-hmm. but based on the way the rest of the story goes, like I would I would guess that Ruth probably was like, you know, being positive to her, like affirming her, like, you know, encouraging her, like telling her the truth, like, Hey, like, you know, God is still for you. God's still in your corner. Like you're not like, yeah, you've been through some hard stuff. Like part of being a friend is, is recognizing, you know, some of the crap that goes on in Mm -hmm. people's lives and like allowing them to feel that and being there with them in that. But I think Ruth kind of called her into what's next. So I, I think that definitely does make sense how it's like, the, f- the positive friendship kind of helps us grow as people in, 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 in our walk with Christ. So, yeah, I would say yes. So on to Chapter 3 then sure. since we already discussed Chapter 2. Come on.
0: What's your favorite verse in chap- Chapter 3? Oh, man. That really speaks to so you. So
1: Chapter 3 is where, um, after Ruth has been working for Boaz, And Naomi tells her like, oh my gosh, this is our, he's our kinsman redeemer, which means that like he's, he's a relative to us. And since all of the men in our family has died, like it's part of his right and and potentially even his duty to Mm. marry you, to help take care of our family. And so she tells Ruth what to do. She says, go into, um, into his home and go and kind of do this, um, this sort of ritual where she goes and she uncovers his feet and she lies down at his feet, which is really, really weird to us. But mm-hmm. what that meant was it was Ruth showing like that she was humbly submitting herself to Boaz because she was pretty much taking the place of a servant at his feet. Wow. Um, so then uh, Boaz wakes up, and uh, and he says, Who are you? And Ruth says, It's me. Um, she says, Cover your garment over me because you're the guardian redeemer of your family. She's pretty much saying, Take me into your family like you know, marry me. Pretty much is what she's she's saying, mm-hmm. and it says this in verse or chapter three, verse ten. Boaz responds to Ruth. He says, "The Lord bless you, my daughter. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. Earlier when she was serving in his field, you've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character." So again, when the first thing that we hear about Boaz is his character, one of the first things that he recognizes about Ruth is her character. Like Mm. he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't bothered by the fact that she was a foreigner. He wasn't bothered by the fact that she was a widow. He wasn't bothered by the fact that she had no money or nothing to give back to him other than relationship and love. He knew that she was a woman of noble character. Um, so that's, that's one thing that stood out to me in that vert, in that passage of chapter three, chapter three is a little bit shorter. Um, but it, it just shows how, you know, the number one thing to look for in relationships, whether it's marriage, friendships, um, working relationship, whatever that is, is to judge people, not judge them harshly, but to, to gauge people based on their character, not on the external or what they can offer you, or what they have to give, but to, to look at the character. Of a person so that's what stands out to me in chapter three
0: that's good yeah hey that's real good yeah yeah yeah. so how about um moving on to chapter four what's your thoughts on chapter four
1: so chapter four is is when they get married um boaz actually realizes that there's a closer relative to naomi's family than himself so he goes to this guy again they do another weird ritual where they're like passing sandals i think back and forth pretty much the guy boaz is asking this guy hey I'm going to marry Ruth unless you want to because you technically have a greater claim. Again, seems really weird to us, but what that is is Boaz being honorable, like doing the right thing, even if it meant losing the woman that was about to become his wife. He was doing what would have been the right thing and the thing that a person of integrity would have done. And the guy says, nope, you can have her pretty much. So Boaz marries Ruth, um, and then this is what it says. At the end of the book, it's the very last thing. It's, I'll, I'll read the whole thing because it's just so cool, um, starting in verse 4, chapter 13. Um, so Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. That's That actually just stood out to me for the first time. The Lord enabled her to conceive. And then I just kind of said earlier how at the beginning of the chapter... Naomi um, and her two sons, Malon and Kilion, they were um, from Bethlehem. They went to Moab. They lived there. They married Orpa and Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, Malon and Kilion also died. So that's kind of implying that Ruth was married to this one of those. It doesn't say which one, but probably Kilion because he's listed second, that she was married to one of these guys for 10 years. Why were they married for 10 years and had no children? probably because they couldn't conceive because God probably had a different plan for her. So then later it says she marries. I wow, have I never, I haven't never noticed this before, but the Lord enabled her to conceive. She gave birth to a son. So it's cool kind of seeing how God's ordering this all together. We keep going. The women said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. Talking about the Lord. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. So it's just really, really cool to see how all of that worked together. Because if if Ruth would have had a child, I'm sure that that was a time of sorrow, for her if 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 i'm in assuming the correct things and filling in the blanks and she was married to one of Naomi's sons for 10 plus years mm-hmm. i'm sure that he was angry and i'm sure that she was upset that they weren't having any kids that they weren't able to conceive and then she he dies she loses her husband like we don't even talk about how hard it was for Ruth to lose her husband we yeah. just talk about Naomi she loses her husband loses her father-in-law her sister-in-law leaves her a brother-in-law dies too so it's just her and Naomi but she's gone through all this. She hasn't been able to have children, which I'm, I'm sure that she probably wanted to because that was a big part of, of women, what women felt like was their purpose back in this time, right? Even women today like f- have a hard time when they're not able to mm-hmm. have children because they have that motherly desire and instinct. But now she marries Boaz, her kinsman and redeemer, who's like a foreshadow of, of Jesus being our kinsman redeemer, right? And she has a son, and he becomes the grandfather of King David. It's just so, so, so cool. So, yeah, that's, that's just amazing to see God working everything together. Sometimes he uses these hard things, her not being able to have a son or, or kids in general, to set us up for something greater in the future. And it was like 10-plus years in the making, like mm-hmm. a long time in the making. So sometimes when things don't happen the way we want it to, it's just because God's getting ready to bless us with something so much greater in the future. And then you read about Ruth in Matthew chapter one, verse five, yeah. as one of the ancestors. Like you want to say descendants, that's backwards, one of the ancestors of Jesus. She's one of only a few women listed in the whole thing. All because she chose to be loyal, to be humble, to serve and to love and God, you know, bless her for it. It's mm-hmm. really cool. Wow. Yeah.
0: You know, that just started making me think, I'm not gonna lie, like this. The fir- like, as soon as you said that, what came to my mind was like, I started thinking, it's almost like, and I could be wrong, this is just a thought, this is like a mind. Mm-hmm. You know, just playing with like the concept a little bit, but what if Ruth is like, we could say a, how do I say this? I kind of see Ruth as like a a representation of like the church. Mm -hmm. You know, like what happened to her was horrible. There was something that just, something that happened just that wasn't supposed to happen. The famine, Mm -hmm. people dying and things like that. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't know what's going on. She couldn't have kids. You know, there's, you know, just bad things that are happening. But yet she's still committed to loving Mm -hmm. the people close to her. Mm -hmm. Naomi, Mm -hmm. right? Loving each other. And then on top of that, you bringing that to light with like, um, you know, she couldn't have kids and then uh, Boaz being the family redeemer, it just kind of makes me think of she's patient and she's suffering. But Mm -hmm. in the patience and suffering, she's still holding her faith through the actions that she's displaying towards others. Yeah. And it's just so powerful because I'm thinking of the church now, of like how, what the church is going through and the sufferings that they have to deal with you know the western the western church has their own problems the people in the middle east have their problems the people all the way um you know in china and uh you know north korea or like just any other places where it's like christians are suffering Mm -hmm. you know we're called to be patient and to just wait on the lord to come Mm -hmm. and when he does come that's when he'll provide the security and that peace Mm -hmm. and then i noticed with boaz he went to another guy Mm -hmm. to kind of like, in a sense, you can kind of see the humility that he has. And I instantly thought of just Jesus's humility Mm -hmm. where he's humbled himself and submitted to the father Mm -hmm. and was humble and just displayed immense amount of, immense amount of humility towards us. Yeah, And so I'm kind of just like putting these two together and it makes me think more of like, I feel like, Um, and I could fall in this too, sometimes as well of like, all of us can sometimes be so caught up in what's happening in the future. How can we focus on the things of the past and how it can foretell and, you know, move around and like deal with like the things that could be coming our Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. And when I look at the Bible, I feel like the Bible is honestly the only exception to where we know what's happening at the ending and the very beginning. Right. You know, but yet the people in the story don't. Right. And so when I'm reading it, I feel like I got to pay more attention to, rather, mm-hmm. not the beginning or the ending, not saying that you sh- you know like that that like you should know what happened in the beginning or yeah. you know or be ignorant of the stuff that's going to happen in the future, but rather, instead of being so caught up in these things and making this all about that, yeah. maybe we should look more at the character and the decisions mm-hmm. that the people are making in the middle of it. Yeah, because so much more I see myself being the person in. The middle of it all mm-hmm. and not knowing the future or the past yeah true so yeah that just like really that really really hit dang
1: yeah that's awesome i never really thought of that either it's it's definitely i think that's definitely like an, an amazing takeaway and like picture to 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 look at because i mean we know i mean from context that in the story boaz is a is a, a type or a foreshadow of certain attributes of Jesus, right? He's yeah. the kinsman redeemer, mm-hmm. which in, in that culture, a kinsman redeemer or a family redeemer was someone who would help a widow, sometimes marrying them, sometimes just providing for them, stuff like mm-hmm. that. They were taking the place to help the widow, to help someone who was lost and needed help. And it's it, this, is, this is my OG Bible. This is my kid's Bible. <laughs> uh, I love it so much. But there's a note, and it says, God's son became a man so that he could be our kinsman redeemer. So it's just like so so cool to see like, because we're the we're the bride of Christ like as the church like we are yeah. like we're Ruth kind of like you said like in this story we can be, and God chooses like Boaz didn't have to marry Ruth like as far as I know like I, I like I think there was he would help her but it wasn't his duty the first guy should have done it the first guy should have helped Ruth the first kinsman redeemer I don't think it ever. Mentions his by, him by name, but Boaz did it because it was the right thing to do, and because he, that's what someone who loves people and takes care of people would do, and like that's what Jesus did was he I'm, he stepped out of eternity into into time to take care of us and to save us. So
0: I just thought of like when you said that the first guy should have done it and that, I don't know why, but that just makes me think of Adam. Adam. Yeah. <laughs> that just makes me think of Adam. Yeah, like, It's like, it's like Adam wasn't supposed to eat the fruit. He right. was supposed to lead. He was supposed to protect. He was supposed to, yeah. you know, do the right thing. And it's yeah. like, as soon as he messed up, it's like that messed everything else up for everyone else. Yeah. Cause he couldn't step. Come up. on. And Adam. then you have like Jesus <laughs> coming in.
1: Right say he's
0: yeah and he's and he's, you know, you see inside Romans, he's the new Adam. He's the new creation. Yep. And he's the one who does it right. And I just, gosh, that hits. Because it's like, you know, with what you were just saying, though, about, you know, not judging someone on the externals, but judging or trying to get a gauge of them on their character. Because, like, when you look at Ruth, you know, she's a Gentile. Then on mm-hmm. top of that, she's a widow. Yep. And then on top of that, I mean, she's not a Jew, so she doesn't really have any right to anything inside that, inside yep. this cultural context as well mm-hmm. and i think of us we're gentiles we do not you know you you see all the verses you know jesus came to the to the jews first and then the gentiles it makes me think of um uh that woman in uh i think it's in matthew mm-hmm. where it's uh she comes to jesus and i think um one was it i think it was um i don't want to say one of them were gentiles not the sumerian woman mm-hmm. it was another woman at the well yeah yeah i'm i'm, I'm thinking of the other woman when he's
1: like he scraps off the table yeah, yeah yeah
0: and then she's like um but even the dogs eat scraps yeah. the master's table yeah. yeah and he was like you have faith you know mm-hmm. you, um it was just it's just so powerful yeah and it makes me think of um it really makes you think of that perspective change, mm-hmm. of the areas that don't make sense. But like when you just stick it out, when you stay in that wilderness and wait for the times when God's True. gonna provide that manna, yeah. or provide that security, yeah. or provide that water of life. Yeah, those are the moments that really count because those are what builds your relationship yep. with Him. It's good. It's it hits. It's awesome. Man. It hits. So now after kind of going over like a quick overview of the book of Ruth. Yeah, it was like a that was like a Bible that. project video right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what so what are some things that you would say do you think Boaz's character or attributes challenge men inside this culture now? Why or why not?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for okay. sure. I think kind of goes back. We talked about it earlier like the first yeah. thing it tells us about him like it tells us that he was a man of Standing, he was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. Like I, I could be wrong. Let me look before I say it. But I think it says that before it even tells us. Yeah, it, it doesn't. That's before it it tells us what his job is. That's mm-hmm. before it tells us anything else about him. It just says there. Naomi had a relative on her husband's side. He was a man of standing. His name was Boaz, right? So it's like us today. Like we're so career driven, money driven, mm-hmm. status driven appearance-driven, whatever. You fill in the blank, but the main thing was like he was a man of standing. like, mm-hmm. and, and you can tell just by the way that he lives in the story and by the things that he says and the things that he does that he was a man of standing because he was a man of God. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the main thing that it challenges us with is to more than anything focus, kind of like we talked about earlier, on being men of God and men of character. But then I think too... He it, it challenges us to you know do the hard things right and to do the right thing even when it's hard because um, it, it probably would have been easier for him to not marry Ruth like he had to go through the whole process of going to the other kinsman redeemer like it probably cost him a lot of money because now he's supporting this widow and her mother-in-law, you know, yeah. it, 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 he, I mean, he may have been an older man. Like he, cause he says you could have gone for the younger guy. Mm-hmm. So he maybe didn't had no interest in doing that at that stage in his life, but he did it because it was right. And he was loyal to her. He was a man of character to her. And then it's also, I think it also just shows us like honoring and respecting, not just people, but specifically women be the way that he treated Ruth. Like, he could have taken advantage of her. He could have d- done things to harm her. Even in chapter two, we didn't talk about it at all, but while she's picking the grain, he sees her and he's like, who is that? He asked one of his, his assistants, who is that? And they're like, oh, that's Ruth so-and-so. She's Naomi's daughter-in-law. They lost everything. So he begins to do things to help her before he even meets her. He's like, hey, tell all the workers to drop some extra grain out of their baskets so she can pick some up. Hey, make sure mm. that she is, is fed and has water throughout the day while she's working. So it's just kind of, again, just little things to take care of people, to serve people, like her, I think is is paints a picture of what Jesus did, but then also what we're called to do as men today. So yeah, I think Boaz yeah. definitely sets the example, sets a high standard. You got like the Proverbs 31 woman, yeah. and you got like Boaz, and, and like Jesus. So like, yeah. like that's what Jesus we, is the hardest yeah, one. Yeah, that's, for real. So yeah. Boaz and then like Jesus. I'm yeah. just kidding, but yeah. No,
0: that's... And what I really like too about Boaz is that he was not, it was not transactional. Yeah. It was not transactional at all whatsoever. He wasn't doing it to get something out of her. He wasn't doing it to manipulate her. He was doing it simply because it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I really love that about yeah. Boaz. Good question. So, what, um, how has specifically
1: the Book of Ruth impacted you and your marriage? Sure. Well, so the, I think the first thing, uh, I don't know. So the first, the first time I read this, I actually did like a sermon on it on Instagram. Um, It was before I was like preaching. Like, I think I had preached like at North students. I was a, I was a, I wasn't even working at the church yet. I wasn't even an intern yet. And like I had preached at North students once, I think. And so I was like, man, I really, I really feel called to like communicate and, you know, preach the gospel and and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. So I did an Instagram live um, on the book of Ruth one time and The main thing that I talked about was like what it meant to be a friend, to be loyal, to be humble, and to serve and to love um, and to to honor, right? So the first, and that was in 2020, so just shortly – no, it was either 2020 – Yeah, it was in like spring of 2020. So just a few months before I started dating my wife. So the first time I read the book of Ruth, I think it impacted me and showed me how to be a friend, like how to be a good friend. At that point in my life, I had kind of just recently recommitted my life to Christ. Everyone that I was doing life with at that time, I had only known for a few months. Like I kind of just because of choices that I was starting to make in order to set myself on the right path. I kind of had to step away from some of the friendships that I had had in the past. So I was creating all these new friendships and this taught me how to be a friend first and then carrying that into my marriage, loving, serving, loving the same people, obviously loving the same God, but Mm -hmm. being together and doing those things and just seeing, I mean, I think, I think I, I learned a lot from Boaz in like how to be, a husband, but I also learned like from Ruth, like Ruth was the one that when times got hard, like she didn't, she didn't run. Like my wife and I, like we've, we did like premarital counseling and we've been to like marriage counseling a couple of times, kind of like a little checkups and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And like, it's always about like talking about like, how do you fight? Like, do you know how to fight? Cause like stuff's going to come up, disagreements are going to come up, but instead of running away from it, are you going to lean into it and be there for each other when times get hard, it's you know, that in sickness and health, and rich and poor, better worse, everything. Like that's what I have learned most of all from the Book of Ruth is just the importance of being loyal, being humble, serving, and loving. So that's amazing. Yeah.
0: So, what would you say is the? Well, do you think um, marriage has changed your perspective
1: of God? Um. I don't know if it was has changed my perspective of God, but I think it's taught me a lot about God. Because, um, I mean, it's, it's the whole, like, I say, like, the whole thing. Like, it's biblical. But, like, Jesus and, and then the church being his bride, mm-hmm. what a weird analogy. And I felt like I didn't really understand it at all until... You got married. We got married because it's like, bro, like, you know, my wife, like she's strong, she's powerful, like she's brave, like she's bold. She can do all these things. But it's like at the end of the day, like I'm the one leading our family, like not in a negative way or yeah, like yeah. undermining her or, or degrading her in any way, but I'm the one leading our family. I know that and she knows that. So it's kind of like, okay, that's one little thing. Like us as the church, the capital C church, like Jesus is the one leading our life. Like we're the bride He's the groom, like he is leading our life, and then other things like it's my job to protect. Like one little thing, so Shane, Shane was my best man, and he got me a gift. He had love that guy by the way, dude, I love amazing, Shane. amazing I love Shane. guy. This is my little amazing, brother, my little brother Shane. Person. We need to get him on here, bro. I know, I wanted to come on, come <laughs> on. I'm gonna hit him up. I'm gonna hit him up. <laughs> he, uh, so he got me a gift right before I got married, and it was like a binder full of letters that a bunch of. Uh, men in my life, like family, guys from church, people that I had known my whole life, family friends wrote me letters, like wishing me congratulations, but also giving me advice. And Pastor Sampson, another person you get on here, he wrote in there, hey, here's just like a pra- little, pr- few little practical things mm-hmm. um, for marriage, like not like love your wife, honor her, like actual little things. And one of the things he said was every night he said, you should always be the last one to go to bed. And before you go to bed, even if you already did it, go make sure all the doors are locked, the windows are locked, the alarm set, stuff like that. And at first I was like, you know what, like that's kind of weird advice. And then I started thinking about it and I was like, that's great advice. And my wife and I, we got married. We were living in this little one bedroom apartment. It only had one door, but every night I would be the last one to go to bed and I would go and I would make sure that one little door is locked. And then still today, like we live in a three bedroom house, me, my wife, and our son trip and every night, even if even if I'm like in bed reading and like I doze off and then my wife comes to bed because she's a night owl. I'm not. I will get up, get out of bed, go make sure the front door, the garage door, the back door is locked. The I'll, I'll make sure that the thermostat's the way that we want it and everything. Like I'll turn off the lights, make sure there's no candles going. Just all doing that the stuff, extra stuff. Going the extra mile to take care of my family. Just like how Jesus did things. Jesus didn't have to. Die on the cross. Jesus didn't have to come live on earth as a man. He did it for us to serve us and to love us. So I don't even remember what the question was. Oh, we we're talking about <laughs> we were, we were talking Hey, about, no, you're you're hey, so, you're you're preaching. So like speaking just, right now. <laughs> just yeah, like going we're talking about marriage. Just like going the extra mile to love my wife and now my family too, um, kind of helps me understand. Oh, you asked me how has this kind of changed, how's marriage changed my perception of God? So it kind of helped me understand the, the illustration of Jesus and, and the church. So
0: yeah. Dang, that's yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> Sorry, I started rambling. <laughs> so hey, it was a good ramble. I'll, t- I'll tell you that. So um, what was the hardest lesson that you needed to learn while you were single? And what was the hardest lesson that you learned
1: while you're married? Oh, wow. That's good. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty deep one. Um, Man, the hardest lesson I needed to learn... The married one's easy. I could tell you that one, but let's start with single. The hardest lesson I needed to learn while I was single. Oh, man. I think the the hardest lesson that I needed to learn while I'm single was that I couldn't do it all on my own. Like, I feel like I'm a pretty... Like, I'm a pretty talented person. I'm a pretty smart person. Like, if I just like try to do something, like put my nose to the grindstone and like make something happen, like I could do it. But then, like, realizing, like, okay, to really have a life of purpose, to have a life of meaning, like I need God. And not only that, most importantly, God, but I also need godly people around me. So while I was single, realizing like I can't be like this lone ranger, lone warrior, lone wolf, lone whatever type of guy, like I need people. And most importantly, I need God. So I think that was the biggest thing I had to learn while I was single. Um, And I feel like that kind of translated to my marriage too. Like it's easy to get into the marriage and be like, I know everything, but bro, like some of the best conversations I have now is like talking to my friends who are married and then also my friends who aren't married and talking to them about like stuff that's going on in my family. like talking about to them about like how they're doing in their marriages or how they're doing in their dating life and stuff like that and realizing that, okay, we got to do life together. Um, The hardest lesson that I had to learn while I was married, I don't know if this is the hardest, but it was the first one that popped in my head. So I'll say it. There's more than one right way to do things um, Was something that I had to learn. So like, just, just a silly little, like example, like, I have a very particular way of loading the dishwasher, right? Like I put all the things (laughs) on the top. I know where all the stuff goes, but then my wife, she does it a very different way. And my first thought when I first saw that was like, Oh, she's doing it the wrong way. Like she's loading the dishwasher the wrong way. And I remember like, it wasn't a fight or anything like that, but I was like, why are you loading the dishwasher like that? Like, why are you doing that? And she was like, well, that's just how my mom, that's how my mom did it. And I was like, well, this is how my mom did it. (laughs) At the end of the day, the dishes are getting clean either way, but there's a different way to do things. So it's kind of realizing that she came from a different family and I came from a different, even though we had similar upbringings and stuff like that, we both have had such different life experiences. And that's a silly little example, but we both have different perspectives and different ways of doing things and realizing like now, like, Hey, this is our family. Like we get to do this together so I that was a hard lesson to learn because there was like there's a lot of it was little like stupid things like laundry making the bed stuff like that where it was like oh I think we need to do it this way and she's like no I think we should do it this way and then we just kind of had to come together and like figure out okay well what's best what works best for us what works best for our family so that was a lesson that I had to learn that was like the first week we married and I'm still learning that two and a half years later so dang
0: yeah that's that's a good that's yeah that's a good one that's <laughs> that's pretty good I'm really happy to ask that question yeah <laughs> So, um, what was the hardest lesson while you were working in ministry, or while you are working in ministry? What was the hardest oh, lesson in man. that, oh, that you've gotten so far, I guess? Oh, wow. It came a long way. Yeah. It came I, a long way. You've it's, grown so much. Thanks,
1: man. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been an awesome journey. Um, so, I've only been on, like, in ministry... On a vol- from, as a volunteer, I've only been in ministry for four years. Mm. And then as a, as a staff member at, at North Church, it's only been three years. Um, it seems like longer than that, but then it also seems like nothing. You know what I mean? Both. Um, so I think the hardest thing that I've had to learn... Um, well, w- one of the first like practical things that I had to learn... like I remember coming from my first day of the, the, the residency program, sort of the kind of internship program we had have here at North... I remember coming for my first week and just like I was in meetings and I was talking to people and I was calling people and I was texting people and I was getting coffee with people. And I remember asking Pastor Christian, hey, when do like when do I actually work? This is kind of what you said to us. From <laughs> the like, when do I actually work? And then he kind of told me like, dude, like 90 percent of our job is talking to people and loving people and pastoring people. And leading people so that was one of the things that's it's it's and it's it may sound dumb but it's like people ask me all the time like what do you do like what do you do all day how do you work 40 plus hours a week doing this i think people think that all, all of my week and all of pastor rodney's week and everybody's week is just sitting down writing sermons like bro that's the easiest part of my job the hard part is the nah. people part and so that's yeah. the thing that I like, say both is pretty hard. Yeah, but <laughs> personally, you, you can't you can't quantify it, right? You can't put a measurement on it, like serving people and loving people and pouring into people and leading people. Um, but then another, like I, one that was kind of harder for me was just like you know learning that it's not about me. And that's something that I've also learned in marriage, but especially now, like, as being a dad, like, it's not about me. Like, I got to put my son's needs over my needs. I don't want to be up at 3 in the morning rocking him back to sleep. I want to be asleep. But at at that (laughs) moment, like, he needs me, right? And it's the same thing, like, with ministry. Like, if I let – I, like, here's – like, I love – Attention! Like I love being the center of attention. I love being on a stage. Like there's a lot of people that are like, I hate it, but I do it because that's what God called me to do. No, I'll be honest. I love it. Like it's (laughs) it's fun, but it's not about me. When I get to that place where I'm like, oh, this is so much fun. It's okay to have fun. But then when I let that pridefulness come in, like look how awesome this is. There's hundreds of people watching me. No, like this would still be happening if I wasn't here. So learning that it's not about me and it's all about. God and, and, and loving people and pointing them to him. Like, I'm literally just a signpost, you know, like John the Baptist. Like, I got to become greater. I got to become less so that he can become greater. And my mm-hmm. whole job is to just point people to Jesus and say, there he is and, and get out of the way. So, yeah, I don't that's know if that good. makes sense. but No, no, that's, that's <laughs> real good.
0: So um, for the younger people, what is, what is something that you know now that you would tell your 16-year-old self?
1: Cool. Oh man, there's so many things. Like, I feel like I've got things as far as like relationships. I feel like I've got things as far as like school. I feel like I've got things like financial. I would tell my, this is the number one thing right now, right now that I would, because right now my wife and I were doing the Dave Ramsey plan, Dave Ramsey ruining all my fun because I got to save money now. (laughs) We're paying off student debt. Um, So the number one thing, like I had opportunities to, I could have gone to school for free, for academics at smaller schools. I could have gone to school for free at some decent schools to play sports, but instead I chose to go to like my dream school and get tens of thousands of dollars worth of debt just because I wanted to be able to say, yeah, I went to this school, um, and now like I'm paying for it and my family's paying for it. Um, So that's one thing is just like, don't, you know, this is people say this all the time, but like like, I would love to tell myself this because it would save me a lot of money and a lot of time, but don't go to school on loans like pay it like if you're gonna do it pay for it while you can or take the free school and go somewhere else you're not gonna I hate school I'm not gonna like the school anyway (laughs) just go to go to the cheaper one and go for free um but then as far as like relationships I think it's like uh like not meaning just dating relationships but just friendships in general it's kind of like stuff that I learned from the book of Ruth like be willing to stick out the hard things you know be willing to be there for people like don't let bridges burn over little petty things like don't die on hills that don't need to be died on, you know, like mm-hmm. that. And then as far as like, um, like from a spiritual or like faith side, when I was sixteen, like I, I, I was a believer, but I had no relationship with God at all until I was twenty-one years old. So I think I don't know what I would have said. I think what I would have done if I could time travel, I would maybe go and tell my parents like, hey, like I don't know how I could convince them, but I'll be like, hey, you'd need to make your son like go to church because I had the best parents in the world but like I hated going to church so much that they just kind of stopped making me go and it impacted my life really big and it's I'm not saying this as a negative against my parents at all but I just wish I feel like if if I could have stayed in church and if I could have learned how much God really loved me and actually cared about me it would have changed my life um earlier and I would have I would have been on an even different path and like, but I, but all that to say, like, I'm super grateful for the journey yeah, that God took me on and what he mm-hmm. taught me. But yeah, those are just little different things. So all that to say those, that's what I would tell myself. So I think I would tell like a 16 year old, I think you said 16, right? 16 mm-hmm. year old version of myself. I would say, don't be dumb when it comes to money, like, like save money, do what you can to go to school for free. If, if school's the thing you're going to do, I would say like, don't, you know, be a good friend, be a good son, brother, for the girls, daughters, and and sisters, and stuff like that, but then the most important thing is I would tell myself, like, God loves you, and and God is real, and God's for you. He's got a plan for your life, so yeah.
0: Dang, that's good. Yeah. So I have, I know you got to get out of here. Oh, you're good. So I have one more question that someone on my team really wanted to ask, and I think it's really, really powerful. So why does it seem that uh, being a youth pastor is like, kind of the entry level into ministry because to me when i first think about it i mean you're dealing with the next generation of believers you're dealing with the next generation of people Mm -hmm. and that are going to be representing christ to the world technically you know so some people can kind of see that as like uh it's you know it's not that big of a deal but to me i'm like that's a huge deal if any that's by far probably one of the most important positions yeah so why do you think um people may see that or kind of
1: yeah I'm pulling you know, have that, yeah, statistic. <laughs> yeah, have
0: that type of view on it. Because I, th- I I, definitely think that it's immensely important.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, no, I agree. I think, and I'm not trying to say, like, me, I'm the most important person. But I think youth ministry and kids ministry is the most important thing in the church. And mm-hmm. that's why I love North Church, because I think this church and our pastor, Pastor Rodney and Pastor Shannon, like, they believe that 100%. Like, our leadership believes that and the culture of our church believes that. Like every church you go to, they're going to say something in their standard of like, we invest the best in the next generation, something yeah. along those lines. Mm-hmm. We believe in the next generation, blah, blah, blah. They're the church of today, not tomorrow. But then they don't do it. Like they don't mm-hmm. put their resources there. They don't put their best people there. They don't do these things. But this is this is why it matters. And this is why like that whole thing, because that is 100% true that people see being a youth pastor as like the floor level position and as a stepping stone to become a lead pastor or, yeah. whatever, or whatever people want to be. Uh, But here's why it shouldn't be that way. According to Barna, 94% of Christians choose to follow Jesus before the age of 18. I'm going to read it again because it's freaking crazy. According to Barna Research, which is super legit, super trusted, 94% of Christians choose to follow Jesus before the age of 18. That's why student ministry and kids ministry and even preschool ministry is so important because people 94% of Christians are making that decision before the age of 18. Um, so I think the reason that it has seen as an entry- level position is because most lead pastors or most executive pastors or whoever it is, senior pastors, boards, congregations, whatever are treating it as that. They're treating it as like a glorified babysitter, that can go in there and take care of the teenagers so the adults can have real church. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And they don't understand that it's literally life or death. And just like it's life or death, like on a Sunday when there's, a, you know, a fifty-year-old guy coming in there that's, you know, choosing whether or not to give up on his family, or there's like a thirty-year-old girl coming in there that's, you know, contemplating ending her life. Like it's literally life or death. It's the same thing, and statistically, even more so for us, it's a Wednesday, but when it comes to like youth ministry, um, and I think the reason that people see it that way is because a lot of pastors, like lead pastors, senior pastors and stuff, treat it as, oh, I just need a warm body. I just need somebody in here. And I think it has been treated as that because a lot of people don't want to do it because they realize like every job in ministry is hard, just like every job out in the real world is hard. Um, Maybe not every job, but most jobs. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not that this isn't the real world, but you know what yeah, I mean. The yeah. secular world are hard. But being a youth pastor is hard, dude. It's it's hard. Like you're dealing with crazy stuff. Like you'll be dealing with one kid that wants you to pray for um, their Fortnite so that they can get a dub on Fortnite, <laughs> and then the next kid will be like, "My mom just died," or like, or like a twelve year old, like, "Hey, I'm wow. addicted to porn," or like a teenage girl, like, "Hey, I'm I was." planning on killing myself tonight. Like, Mm -hmm. what do I do? Like, literally, like, in all the fun and games, like, that happens. I won't say any names. I think this is all answering the question. I won't say any names, but there's somebody that's highly involved here at our church um, that one time Pastor Christian and I were talking to them, and we weren't, like, oversharing or anything. They just kind of asked us how North students went the night before, and we were telling them, like, hey, like, we had this girl who, like, was trying to kill herself. Like she brought razor blades up to the altar, like during the altar columns, like I was going to kill myself tonight. And we're like praying for her. We're contacting her parents. We're like contacting the proper authorities because we have mm-hmm. to report those things. Um, and we're like kind of explaining like, yeah, this is what happened last night. Like it was crazy. It was hard, like be praying for, we didn't tell her who the girl was, but just be praying for yeah. this student yeah, of course. Um, and, stuff the like and stuff like that. And then, and the girl who was super involved in ministry, super involved in our church, you would see, feel like they had a, a good grasp of what's going on said, Oh my gosh, like I thought you guys just got to play games and have fun all the time. Like I thought that's what youth ministry was. And like, I wasn't mad or anything, but I was just like, that's what people think that it is. Cause that's what people see. Like you don't see all the stuff that's in the trenches. Um, so I think that's why youth ministry and youth pastors is treated like as a floor level position. But I mean, you look at, you look at like my story, like only three years on staff and then becoming the youth pastor, um, at the student pastor at North church, like that's pretty quick, but you look at pastor Christian, like he was a a volunteer youth pastor for 12 years before he got hired to be the student pastor at North church. Like, and then the only reason that I'm here is because North church was willing to take a chance on me when they saw potential in me and I felt called to this when I was 21 years old and they had no reason really to believe mm-hmm. in me because I had only been a follower of, a, a serious follower of Jesus for about a year and they took a chance on me. And because of the development in me, like, even though it was only three years, like there's been hours and hours and hours and days and days and days, and days of time that they've poured into me to get me ready for this position and to get me ready to be a better husband, a better father, a better man. Um, and so it's like, it, even though it looks quick, it, it really isn't. Um, but all that to say, that's why I'm so grateful to be a part of this church and to serve um, under Pastor Rodney's leadership because he he understands that 94% statistic and he knows how important student ministry is and he knows how important all all, all parts of ministry are, but specifically that. So, yeah, we need to change that stigma around student Yeah, that, no, we, that's do. Why, we do. That's why there's so much turnover, bro. Like only... I think it's like something like the average youth pastor only lasts like a year and a half or something like that in their position. I didn't know that. Yeah. So like a year and a half, like that's crazy. That means statistically I would only have about a year to go before I moved on to something else. And it's usually not that they're getting fired. It's usually that they're quitting. Um, part of it is because it's so hard. Part of it is because of compensation. Yeah. Part of it is because they want to move up. You know, I don't care about moving up, you know, (laughs) like that's, that's what people want to do. Um, I think that's also what happens when you get someone into a position doing something that they're not really called to do, you know? Like, I'm not mm-hmm. called to be a youth pastor, but I am called to be a leader of people. And because of my age and because of the giftings that I have, being a youth pastor fits that calling right now. Does that make sense? Yeah. But sometimes when we, we see people that may be talented, that may be, able to do certain things and that are available we just like throw them into the position when it's not really what they're called to do and i think that's why we see so much like people crash Mm -hmm. and burn
0: dang yeah so we'll we'll save that for another another (laughs) episode But um, thank you for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Yep. Um, If you guys really enjoyed this uh, episode and the stuff that was in it, Of course they enjoyed it. It was awesome. (laughs) No, it was awesome. I loved it. Um, Please like, share, and subscribe. Um, It really helps out the algorithm. It really helps us out. Um, And if you have any questions or thoughts, please comment. We love that, too. And, uh, yeah, Uh, you guys have a blessed night. Thank you for coming on, my friend. For sure. Peace.